Welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod, Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's clutching his pearls at a court storm, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know, just generally clutching pearls. It's, uh... We are new money when it comes to basketball. We're kind of medium money. We're not, we're not new money, um, but uh, I'm, I'm, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that. I'm sure. But uh, it was fun, fun to see, fun, fun to watch a basketball game and leave with a smile and fun. Even our victories have uh, have have left me sour. This was purely sweet. This was this was good. Uh, what a, what a game! What a throwback to eras of bygone winning and having fun. I'll talk more about this specifically in my bang the drum today, but like, yeah, we got to watch both a fun basketball game and one in which Texas won. I thought those days were long gone. Like, I very glad I was wrong. I went on the uh, rock chalk pod with our friend Andy Mitts and was like, I don't feel like Texas is going to be able to to keep up with Kansas. And well, sure enough, they did. But we'll get to that in just a minute. Basketball is on a little bit of a heater. Knocking off Iowa State and Kansas, back-to-back ranked wins. The ladies, back-to-back ranked losses. We'll talk about that and how dominant Baylor continues to be. Well, down the 40, a lot of non-televised sports we'll go with happening this last week. We'll obviously close the show out with some bang the drum. So just moving right along for what happened in Lubbock. Nobody cares about that. That didn't happen. It's all good. Whatever, whatever. Texas, after, let's just say it, an embarrassing loss to Texas Tech in which they were out of it for a vast majority of the game and it never really felt close, uh, seemed to get some of their swagger back and absolutely kicked seven shades of something out of Iowa State. 63-41. to 41. Iowa State used to be a good team and maybe they weren't, but they're absolutely terrible now. Iowa State has dropped three now of their, or Iowa State has dropped eight now of their last 11. Number seven was to Texas. They actually lost to uh, West Virginia by double digits as we're recording right now, but Texas leaned on the guards early and often to get it done against the Cyclones and it felt it, that one was a slower paced game, but it wasn't ugly in Texas managed to win. Yeah. I mean, this, this looked like the, the formula for the way Texas gets a win, right? You come in, you, you, you stranglehold, uh, somebody on defense. Don't let their, their main threat score kind of keep the offense slow, limit the number of possessions. Don't, don't have a bunch of turnovers, kind of be efficient and be good. And, you know, this was the playbook we thought, would be the way Texas got wins this year, and the only way we'll talk about how that was not the case necessarily. <laughs> uh, but but I think this this one especially was a tale of two halves, right? I think in the first Texas struggled a little bit. They they you know played pretty good defense on Iowa State, but they struggled on the other end to get anything going against the one three one zone, um, and it felt like they were just um, they were going a little bit stale. Um, and there was kind of a, a shift to go guard heavy and run the three guard lineup. Uh, out there and and they seem to move the ball a little bit better in the second half especially Marcus Carr seemed to get downhill a little bit more um you know Andrew Jones got 
hot and, and looks like the player that we all love and adore and, and know he can be. Um, I, I mean, it's, to me, the way they played that second half, the way they did both, they, they, you know, were all gas and, and made the, the defense all breaks uh, on the other team. You know, it was like, wow, what a, what a, a joy it would be if that wasn't an anomaly and that could just be sustainable. And again, um, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit, but maybe there's something of a secondary identity forming here where, where Texas can do do multiple things. And maybe maybe this whole time Chris Beard's just been rope-a-dope and waiting for this tough part of his schedule to unleash the Kraken. <laughs> Well, and I think the thing that, like, if Chris Beard has a diary, which I feel like he's the kind of person that would. Oh, yeah. Like, he, he wrote the Iowa State down in his diary. Like, here, just this is just me reading from Chris Beard's diary. Dear diary, today we held Iowa State to less than 30% shooting and scored 24 points off 18 turnovers. It was a perfect day. Love you. Talk tomorrow. Chris Beard. This was his ideal game. Like Chris Beard, absolutely. Like he's going to think about this in the low parts of his week when he's like, "Oh, it's Wednesday. I got to get to Saturday before we play again." This is that game. I think is what he's going to think about even more so than the Kansas win because, like, that is what he wants. What he dreams when he thinks about what a basketball game is going to look like. That is Chris Beard. For nearly forty percent. Of the points scored for Texas were scored off of turnovers. 24 of their 63 points came off those 18 turnovers that they forced. Like that is Chris Beard's MO to a T. And, and them creating turnovers while simultaneously li- like limiting turnovers, again, it seems like that's like basketball basics, but they haven't been able to execute on that this year. And when they've done it now in back-to-back games, we'll talk about it in just a little bit. Spoiler alert, but like that has been the recipe for dominance for Texas in these uh, against Iowa State. Didn't necessarily dominate Kansas, but they came away with the win. Yeah, and and you know, I think you I think you're right. And I just I like your diary reading, and it just dawned on me that. Chris Beard is kind of, uh, you know, like your friend who's the lovable troll. Like they can just talk so much <laughs> smack that like most of my best friends three fit, of those. Fit, fit this mold. <laughs> like, you know, like to anyone else, they're they're just, you know, like, oh, that D-bag. But uh, to you, it's like, man, this guy's hilarious. He's 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 busted my balls. You know, he's uh, he's busted my chops, breaking my balls, doing all the, uh, you know, the, the things that friends will, will do to you. Chris Beard feels like that, like in, in your diary reading, I think. I, something dawned in his personality type. I think Chris Beard enjoys making life miserable for you more than he makes enjoys making life great for him. I think if he can, like you said, score some points, that's great too. But if he can just make it frustrating for you to try to do what you want to do and uh, and just kind of aggravate and poke, then, then I, I think that is his main goal as a basketball coach for opposing coaches on game day. There, if this is a deep cut, if you if you're a fan of the what we do in shadows TV show, there's an energy vampire that his whole thing is he <laughs> lives to frustrate people and to annoy them, and that's how he sucks the life out of them rather than traditional vampirism, and that is Chris Beard's like life. If if Chris Beard could be a, a mosquito at a at a picnic or at a cookout. Chris Beard would like that's what he wants to be reincarnated as. And speaking of reincarnation, Texas ran it back. Same basic formula, except they did it a little faster to knock off in dramatic fashion. Number eight, Kansas, big upset, 79 to 76. Again, 15 turnovers scoring. Stop. You heard this before. 24 points off of turnovers like Chris Beard again. And this to me. And, and this is not going to be Chris Beard's M.O. 
It's not going to be Chris Beard's MO because they played probably too fast and gave up 76 points, which is not what he wants to do. But this showed, and I, I went on, again, I went on our friend Andy Mitz's podcast and said, I don't know if Texas can run with Kansas. And they absolutely did that. Something about it. We need to think about this. I, Gerald, I, I can't recall if uh, the past three games we've gone on Andy Mitz's podcast, but at least the last two, uh, you or <laughs> I have featured on his podcast. Uh, and, and and certainly when we won in Kansas, I remember uh, shocking him by, by predicting that Texas would win. Uh, and he was flabbergasted because, you know, no one wins in, in Kansas. But, uh, yeah, that's right. Maybe maybe Andy Mitz is the, is the secret uh, success to this podcast. <laughs> his other <laughs> podcast is how we, we finally uh, create good things for Texas. This is, is by going elsewhere, but no, um, yes, win indeed they did, um, win three in a row they did against Kansas the first time, uh, any team has ever done that to a Bill Self Kansas team, it, first time, uh, Texas has ever done it to any Kansas team, I mean, it, um, was a great game, it was one of the most fun games i think even if texas lost in a heartbreaker at the end it's like wow that was a really good game to watch that was well executed a heavyweight prize fight but man it's so much sweeter when you win it's so much more fun uh, but one of the most fun games i've watched in in years obviously i think beating north carolina with the javon uh felix uh, buzzer beater was great i i was there for the kevin duran ac law game which was yep. which was unbelievable uh also why our friend mario's profile picture was him uh in a texas shirt as a very proud fight in texas aggie um you know bets are good uh but uh but yeah i mean this this was this was great this was truly the the best game all in all of the chris beard era probably of the past few years um not to discount you know some fun games in the in the shaka era for sure um but yeah this this was good and you know they they are protecting that 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 court. They're trying to send the Irwin Center out uh, on a high, and uh, I, I really like the the resilience and the poise and just everything they showed down the stretch. Where I feel like lesser teams and teams in the past could have wilted. Um, this is maybe where that graphic they showed where Texas is like a month younger than uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder <laughs> professional NBA team Oklahoma City Thunder maybe that's a part of it again but that mentality that, to me more than anything offensive defensively scheme that we've done that that heart that resilience they showed makes me feel good there's still weaknesses and there's still things this team can continue to improve on but but for the the March uh, kind of run that, that Chris Beard sold as soon as he got here that that's what he wants his teams doing Again, if Chris Beard had a diary, right, he would grab this diary and say, Dear diary, I'm sorry I lied to you. This was the perfect game. 15 turnovers. We only had seven. And we scored 24 points. 34 in the paint. Our big men got it done. Diary, I don't know if I can handle too many more good games like this. <laughs> See you on Saturday. Like, that's like, this was his ideal. Like, to, Timmy Allen, or you put Tim Allen in the show notes because um, it's. I feel like we should call him his grown-up name after that performance. Twenty-four and nine, like the guy put the team on his back. Like that is absolute uh, incredible, and I, and I don't think he took a shot from like past the elbow. Like that really felt like about as far out as he went. And I was concerned about about Kansas's. Um, the athleticism we've seen from their big men, but it seemed mm -hmm. like you know, Timmy Allen identified that they were food early on and, and absolutely took advantage of them. And that was, uh, that was, that was a miscalculation I think on my part. And you know, that uh, Timmy had them and, and there's, you know, Trey Mitchell also again, 17 points down there. Like he, 
had that one three-pointer, so he kind of blew the curve. But, uh, like, again, the Texas Bigs, I think that may have been the best game I've seen from the Texas Bigs all year, and, and Dsu hasn't played in a, in a while. Yeah, I mean, remember when we were struggling and DC was out and we said that was the silver bullet, it would fix everything on this team, or you know, many people were saying that, and, and he came and, and showed athleticism and showed some poise and showed some rebounding, we said, okay, that's it, we, we found the new formula. Um, again, not saying I think Dylan DC is not a part of this team, but here is a game where uh, it was a game plan that didn't feature him heavily, um, and I think some of it was just the hot hand, um, but when, you know, when you saw Bishop and 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 Allen. Uh, I call him a big. He's kind of a, a, a tweener for yeah. sure. Um, but his stat line looks like it because you're right. He, he attempted zero three pointers. But uh, you know a tweener big. But then certainly um, uh, Bishop and 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 Mitchell. Uh, you know they they were guys who who just banged in there with with McCormick being one of the better bigs in the Big Twelve. Um, you you could make the argument that he's the best and I wouldn't get super mad at you, but um, you know, one of the better big men in the conference, you knew that they were going to have to show up on both ends. Um, and they, they did pretty well again. Um, they were leading at halftime and, and, in the second half, you knew Bill Self was going to make adjustments, and boy, did they. I think Kansas shot uh, 98% in the second half. Um, it felt like, I think it was actually 64, but um, just shot absolutely lights out. Um, and so Texas either needed to match that as they had been kind of going blow for blow or figure out what what it you know what else it looked like and and what did they do in the uh, in the second half? Oh, nothing but uh, but. 11 offensive rebounds. I mean, uh, they had three in the first half. There was clearly a, an emphasis shift. Um, and, and as Kansas kept making shots and if Texas wasn't making theirs, they, they got rebounds and chances, uh, to keep it going. There was one possession. I remember specifically where Bishop, I think had three offensive rebounds before we finally hit our only three pointer. That wasn't, uh, <laughs> you know, a razzle dazzle shot, the, the, the one of the three. Um, and, and that came again off three offensive rebounds. So even that in itself is, is an outlier of a shot because you usually don't get that many cracks at it. But, you know, it, it huge credit to, to the bigs for sure. Huge credit to the guards, though, as well, because like you said, Kansas has a, an athletic team that gives a lot of people problems because they have um, guards who play big as well as a good big and, and guards who are quick. Um, and they have just a, a lot of athleticism and they run. And so, I mean, Kansas scores 80-some-odd points a game. It, it was right to think Texas would struggle to, to run with them, but Texas played the Kansas game and almost played it better. They added in a little a little uh, defense, especially in the first half, um, and in key moments in the second half, um, and, and then matched them on offense. And that you know ultimately was the difference in the game. A couple balls fell finally in the Longhorns' favor there at the end. Um, you know there was many during the game that didn't, but uh, you know it, I think it, it the ball bounces evened out probably 50-50, But they happened at the right time for the Longhorns. And again, that resilience and poise they took advantage of it when the opportunity presented itself. They rose to the occasion, and that says something about this team. Absolutely, and again, there is something to be said for a team finding its stride at the right moment, and it feels like, at least to me, based on the last two performances, that this team is starting to figure it out. Now, again, they've got Baylor on the horizon, and that will absolutely um, absolutely put that back up to the test, but 
at least again the these last two basketball games have been far and away the best two basketball games of the year and I don't know if there's any competition for that maybe the Tennessee game but Tennessee was kind of a rock fight but it was at least an entertaining rock fight but it seems to me that and again I can't say this enough that like with you know, five games, six games left on the ske- on the regular season schedule. Texas is starting to find its stride and starting to find uh, where and how they want to play. And so, I think ending the regular season at Kansas kind of sucks, but splitting a season series with Kansas is not a bad way to go about it, especially if it kind of puts you in position to um, control your your destiny toward the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I've I've just a couple of thoughts closing out this one because you know we we talked about obviously Allen and Mitchell being great. I think we talked about Carr uh, playing the whole game and, and offering intensity on both ends. Um, one thing I wanted to say, you know, he he played thirty some odd minutes and had four assists, which is fine, ten points, four assists, but he had zero turnovers. He that's important when we talk about the team only committing seven. I mean, single digit turnovers is a huge. Huge advantage. The the biggest thing in this game, though, Texas couldn't hit a three. The reason they won, and Beard said it in his presser afterwards, they had 19 more shots than the other team. That's rebounds. Um, that's Kansas making a lot of theirs. Uh, but it's also mm-hmm. not turning over and forcing Kansas turnovers. Those are extra possessions. Those are winning possessions. And we've always talked about this Beard offense being an efficiency offense. So if you get the same amount of possessions, be efficient with them and limit them getting extra ones. But, hey, you know what else is great? Get extra for yourself. And they really went out and did that. And I think, again, Carr is a part of that. Bishop with his rebounds. Andrew Jones getting getting hot, having the two steals that were strong finishes at the other end, um, you know, making – making sure we didn't settle for a half-court offense when we can get guaranteed points when we needed them was was huge in momentum shifting. And then, you know, Brock Cunningham didn't play as much this game, but he's been a glue guy. But there was two guys who really stepped up in this one. Devin Askew was, was, uh, you know, a plus-eight box score guy. You know, when you look at the minutes, he didn't do much on on a box score. But if you look at the box score plus-minus, when he was on the court, they were winning. I think just... Energy, a second ball handler, helping to facilitate, um, helping to uh, get after the, the the Kansas guards. So I, I think he did a lot. And then obviously my player of the game, as much as I hate to say that to Timmy Allen or Trey Mitchell, but it, it, my trio, my third of the trio of players of the game was Courtney Ramey. I mean, just just I, I, I it's easy if you don't watch a game to old school, open the paper and look at the box or go to. ESPN.com or TexasSports.com and look at a box score um, and and see Courtney Ramey's night and say, oh, I guess Ramey was okay, not great. Um, but if you watch that game, I, I don't know that anyone, you know, sh- showed out throughout as much as he did. There's one game where Ochai Agbaji scored fewer points than he did while being guarded primarily by Courtney Ramey and that one game is against OU and they still won it like 11 points and he only took seven shots like that to me like not just limiting him to 11 points but like that is his season low for attempts like he again locked him down did not give him an opportunity to score because he's a guy where normally most nights if the ball's coming out of his hand it's going in the basket he's a pretty knockdown shooter and so the ability to limit his his number of looks is paramount and that's what Courtney Ramey managed to do it's absolutely an incredible performance from him again held the big 12's leading scorer to 11 points just seven shots one of three from three-point land he did not in in Usually when you see a team's leading scorer take that few 
shots is because they're getting to the line quite a bit. They're attacking the bucket. They're they're drawing fouls. He only shot two free throws. So like, Ramey absolutely put the cuffs on him, and we can't overlook that fact for what Texas was able to do in this game. Yeah, and the other reason Ramey showed up is he was on the court 39 minutes. He never came off. The guy, I mean, is just a true competitor and warrior. He just was out there. He, he like I said, played 39 minutes. Um, the biggest, all seven of his points came in the second half, and they were timely. Um, so not even just his defense, but when he scored, it was timely as well. Um, that last possession where he just completely denied uh, Baji from getting even a sniff of the ball when that's clearly what Kansas wanted, multiple screens, back screens. Uh, he, he was not allowing him to get that ball. It just exemplified that. And again, that's after 39 minutes of being on the court. That man was running like his hair was on fire. So just wanted to, you know, really praise that because he did it. He got, he guarded Brockington the night, uh, the game before with Iowa state. I mean, he's, he's being tasked with this and just that, that heart of a, of a champion and a competitor. And I, you know, I want to make sure we call out because, um, very clearly, Beard has has had a game plan, and it was on Ramey to execute it, and he did, and, and he's really the difference between a win and a loss for a guy who, over his past four games, scored 100 points, you know, and, and got 11. And this one, it would have been single digits if he didn't, you know, have a crazy burst through the lane, layup, put back uh, towards the end. He had him in single digits, which, again, 11 is still amazing, but uh, one of those isn't even so much uh, on him. It was just a freak athletic play. But, uh, you know, look... This uh, this is the first game where Texas gave up more than 60 points and won. So it showed that they can do some things a little differently. They can, they can flex. They have an identity, but they can flex. And I think that's important. And the last thing I'll say is uh, Chris Beard kept saying in his initial press conference and all the way through, he wanted to be a Monday night program. Joe, what night did Texas play Kansas? Big Monday. That's right. This is a Monday night team. So that just tells you an omen. He's gearing up for a Monday night, maybe national championship. We'll see. Hopefully we have some more Monday (laughs) night games on the schedule because they clearly like uh, and have been conditioned for Monday nights. Next up for Texas, at number 10 Baylor, 11 a.m. Central Time on Saturday. Kyle, guess when the next Monday night game for Texas is? Ooh, um, I'm not sure. Is it the – it's not the Kansas game at the end, is it? It's February 28th, second to last game against Baylor. Ah. Monday night, big Monday matchup again. I don't hate it at all. Gerald, sorry, can I have one more rejoinder? Just a quick thought exercise. Let's make this a three-hour podcast. Um, Imagine a world where Texas does not – dribble down their leg both the basketball and and a spot of urine uh against kansas state and they win that game at home if that's the case they're undefeated on their home court they'd be winners of six of their last seven in total um and would would be in second place in the big 12 at at eight and three just behind a kansas team still against some meat on the bone of, of teams they have to play but I'm trying to imagine the narrative. If, if that was different, um, this would probably be like a top 10 team right now. Um, you know, it, anyways, it's, I, I was just thinking back. I was looking up the schedule and kind of saying, wow, wow, it was a good run, really good run. I'm going to take the tech outlier out um, and, and just say, wow, you know, the last seven. And then you get to the Kansas State game and it's, you know, that, that was it. But maybe something in that game is what sparked, you know, uh, a come to Jesus uh type of conversation and, and and where the folks said we're not going to lose again on our home court because you saw you know seven eight nine different players for texas who if they had a minute to play said we're not losing this game 
And they didn't. 79-76. Texas back on Saturday. And we'll be back next week to talk about Baylor. All right, because we spent 25 minutes talking about the men, let's also not forget about the ladies. The ladies, we talked about it last week, had an opportunity to put themselves uh, in the thick of the Big 12 race and were unable to do so, dropping back-to-back games against number 9 Baylor, 75-63 in Waco, and then 63-55 to in Austin. The the first game uh, got as close as three points, 48 to 45, uh, with about 240 left in the third quarter, but then Baylor kind of took over in the fourth quarter. And Vic Schaefer did not mince many words after this one, talked about uh, the turnover issues and the and the seeming lack of focus and concentration from his team who gave up 20, 20 turnovers that led to 25 points for Baylor. It was a tough. Uh, it was a tough first game of of the the back to back, basically because of um, ice. This was you know turned into the the home and home quick uh, turnaround uh, twofer. Um, and so you said, okay, it, it's happened in Waco. How are they going to clean that up? Because this was um, this was you know a tough game. Melissa Smith. We talked about when we played Kansas State, them having one of the bigs. Melissa Smith is the only other player in the country um, averaging twenty points, ten rebounds, and a block in in um, in, in college basketball. So um, she is uh, she's really good. And it was always going to be challenging for the Texas Bigs. Um, and in, in the first game, twenty-five points, eight rebounds. You know, she she did her thing. Um, but there there was a point where you know I think Texas was close late. Um, it was a three-point game, forty-eight, forty-five, and then it in in the end, the last quarter, basically Baylor just had an extra gear at home, and it felt like with the turnovers, with um, you know, being the main thing with Baylor being able to get kind of points when they wanted inside, uh, that Texas never could get the stop and get the efficiency on the other end to 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 claw back. And um, even though it was, you know, it was only a twelve point win, it felt in the end even bigger. So um, the hope was that Texas could come back and answer in the second game back in Austin, and they did. Not so. Texas looked like they were going to led by uh, eight at half, tied fifty uh, as it closed out. But Baylor again ran away late. That that kind of extra gear sixteen to five run to close out the game. And, and man, I just it 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 felt like Texas had every. I mean, they did have every opportunity to win this game. And just I'll just say it like I think Baylor is just kind of in another echelon of team from Texas at this point and and where the men's team is kind of heating up at the right time the ladies are really struggling at the absolute wrong time yeah and again this was a this was a tough uh, back-to-back against a really good Baylor team and, and a team that specifically you know is built uh in a way that's dangerous to Texas with a with a really good inside out game um it, it, this one was tougher because where Texas was five of eight from from deep in in the first game they were four of 13 in the second they just you know they couldn't hit and and you know were under 60 percent from the free throw which you know either one of those being a little better and and maybe a couple stops late and this is a game that you thought Texas was going to win in in you know in the first let's call it you know two and a half quarters it looked like they were um 
Aliyah Mathuru, who you know is our is our kind of deep threat specialist, who was four of six in the first game, couldn't really get it going as much um, in in the second one. And so again, it's just it's just about consistency for this team. For if you know if it's if it's a uh, if it's a matchup that that they're not going to have an extreme talent advantage at, at over the other team, you know, what can they do? Can the Vic ball, um, you know, the style of play, can they, can they limit turnovers and for enforce turnovers? Basically. Um, I, I did love that the senior Joanne Allen Taylor, who really wants to beat Baylor. Um, she's been around long enough, had 18 points on eight of 10 for shooting, including two or two from deep. She put up maybe her best game of the season. It just felt like the rest of the team couldn't quite meet her. And uh, again, that, that, 40 to 32 advantage on the glass for, for the Baylor Bears probably proved to be the difference maker in Alyssa Smith 28-13 in this one um, you know putting up Charlie Collier putting up All-American kind of kind of numbers uh, over the weekend against Texas so tough one tough two in fact uh, for the Longhorns to to not be able to get one and one or you know even in a, in a, in a dream world where they could have got two and two and, and really taken the Big 12 um conference uh and, and their standings in it uh into their own hands yeah and so texas again like i said three game losing streak they are 15 and 6 on the year they're going to travel to lubbock to square off to texas tech before coming home to take on a tough ou squad that beat them uh, already once this year and so we'll see how that turns out and keep track of that next week so now it's a part of the show where we check out all the other goings ons on campus and we down the 40 number one women's tennis let's start there sweeps missouri seven love we're going to make sure we get that right before <laughs> topping number 25 baylor four to two suck it bears this was this this was tough because he wondered can they be truly perfect they dropped their first two sets of the year they had swept every other person no no a win is a win they're five and oh uh, in dual match play this season um again the only two sets they've dropped this year were against Baylor. Gerald, can I just talk about how dominant this women's tennis team has been? Because I don't think we're we're necessarily celebrating it enough. I think it's flown a little under the radar, even though they are the reigning national champions. I don't know that the average fan is is while they know they're good, is is understanding just how good. We just passed the one year streak since they lost. They are riding a one year long winning streak 29 matches they closed out uh their championship run by winning their final 24 uh last year they've won five this year so they are now 29 in a row and i mean this is a this is a really good program coach jaffe uh has them firing on all cylinders um volleyball's been real good but hasn't been able to win the nas- the natty here lately uh rowing's on the way up baseball we know what they can be but it might be that the best program on the 40 acres outside of men's swimming which again is is just the utter, the juggernaut of all juggernauts in college sports is the women's tennis team right now they're absolutely killing the game. There's no two ways around it. Like they, and they continue to set the standard, at least for tennis, because the men without Elliot Spaziri, who I'm assuming is, is injured is what's happening. Like he's missed four straight. Like literally cannot find anything uh, on the internet about why he hasn't played in four straight. Sorry, Rick. I really, really tried. Uh, but Texas, <laughs> if you, if four. you are, if you are an internet tennis insider, if you are Elliot Spaziri's coach, Elliot, if you're listening to this, hit us up. Tweet 
tweet at us. Let us know it, where it you've been be, in the past four matches. It might be worth paying CM Woldab fifty bucks for a private online tennis lesson to ask him that one question. Might be worth the might be worth the fifty spot. We'll see how it turns out. But again, Texas lost fourth. Str- uh, Texas lost to number two Baylor, uh, and again fourth straight without Elliott Spazier. Next up for them, they host Rice, and then number 25, UCF, on the weekend, try to get back in the swing of things. The ladies will compete in the ITA National Indoor Championship Friday through Monday, the 11th through the 14th, in Madison, Wisconsin. So they've got an opportunity to bring home another national championship and keep their spot as our header image. If you haven't figured it out, last national championship gets our header image, and it is the Ladies, number one men swimming and diving went to Dallas and came away with not just a win, but seven of SMU's pool records because there's nothing like going into somebody's house and absolutely stealing from them like Texas did in this one. Seven pool records at the natatorium there in Dallas. Just putting your feet all on the couch, just uh, throwing throwing your jockstrap right in their pool. Going into the fridge, making yourself a sandwich. <laughs> This is uh, yeah, ch- changing the uh, changing the radio station, you know, on the on the on the radio. I don't know the Spotify station, maybe. But no, this is uh, this was a good showing. Freshman Luke Hobson set the uh, the fastest time in the nation this year in the one thousand free uh, at uh, you know eight eight uh, forty three. Uh, Drew Kibler, senior in his last year, uh, swam a uh, one thirty two seventy four in the two hundred free, the fifth fastest time in the country this season and Carson Foster tallied a uh, time that is the second fastest in the NCAA this year in the 200 backstroke. On the ladies side, number two women swimming and diving took care of rice 156 to 103. Next up for them, big 12 championship in West Virginia on the 23rd. Number nine men's golf finishes 10th in the Amer. Ari, we're going in the Invitational at a Puna Golf Course in Hawaii. Again, they're dealing with the circle, circle, dot, dot issues. No cooties on this one in a field that featured 10 ranked programs, including the top four. Cole Hammer at a 9-under, Travis Vick 5-under, Mason Gnome 4-under. You, you imagine two cooties on top of those three guys, and this team will, will get better. That, that number nine might slip out of top 10 Texas until they get them back. Um, but I just wanted to, to point out, Gerald, their next step travel to Las Vegas at the end of the month. Um, there is some hope the cooties might be back, but February 27th compete in the Southern Highlands Collegiate. But Gerald, have you ever seen a travel schedule that more resembles an Instagram influencer? Their their spring season has started in SoCal. Well, I guess in Austin, uh, gone to SoCal, then Hawaii, and now Vegas all before the month of March. Uh, are you as jealous as I am? I mean, I would prefer like a Bahama situation to Hawaii, mm. but outside mm. of that, yeah, there's there's not there's not a better vacation schedule, especially if somebody else is footing the dime. Keeping the spikes on, but moving from the grass to the track. Number three and number three men's and women's track at the New Mexico Collegiate Classic. My man, Jonathan Jones, and our man on the, <laughs> we'll call it, he's on the Rushmore, right? Trip Papiri record, both recorded world-leading marks at that event. Jones ran the fastest 600 in the world this year with a 115 12, the number three time in NCAA history and the number seven time in indoor history at any level. That boy is fast. He is uh, he is your pride and joy. The, the uh, stand up. 
the the Bayesian sensation, the uh, Wyland from the islands, the uh, the flying fish might just be the nickname. When I was in, in Barbados, yeah. I had a delicious flying fish sandwich, one of the most tasty things I've ever eaten. That might just—I'll have to hit him up. We'll get we'll get this guy on Twitter and see if he has a nickname. If not, he might just be the flying fish. But let's not forget our boy, Big Trip, uh, Trip Papari. Um, through a, a hunk of metal, uh, 21.45 <laughs> meters. That's over uh, 70 and some change feet. Uh, again, the only mark uh, thus far in the world by anyone at any level. It is still uh, February, but the only human being at any level documented to have thrown that hunk of metal uh, tw- greater than 21 meters. Currently, again, the best mark in the world in 2022. And, and you know, just, this always makes me feel bad. You know, came in second through the number six mark in the country this year. His teammate, Jalil Brewer, he, but he's living in the shadow uh, at, at, at only uh, 19.78 meters. Didn't quite get it over 20 meters for, again, the, 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 the sixth best throw in the NCAA uh, this year. Oh, just a little light work there. Kennedy Flanell won the 200 with the time of 22.8, which is the number three time in college this year. The women's 4 by 4 relay team added another win. Uh, and the fifth fastest time in the country this season, Creighton Carroza, the Longhorns' first sub-four-minute mile of the year at this event. Yassine Abdallah broke the Texas all-time record in the men's 3,000 meters, number two all-time as well. And then um, close behind him, Roger Rivera finished with a time of 7.57.49, becoming the number three all-time in school history, which is absolutely ridiculous. But Texas will be back this weekend in Clemson for the Tiger Paw invite. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Gerald, the uh, the Longhorn State of the, the Union, the Crystal Conti Holds Court Bowl um, was this week, again, because of COVID. Uh, he was doing it on Longhorn Network and not in person. Uh, but I always find it interesting, as someone who loves UT athletics, who loves kind of the, the down ballot sports, if you will, who loves men's, women's, uh, country club and, and Olympic sports, uh, nearly as much as, is the, uh, three big revenue generating baseball, football, and basketball. Um, I, I love this event because it's interesting. It gives a look at the, the whole state of the athletic department, um, addresses some issues we, we see, um, looks into the, the books and the budget, which again, I'm a business guy, and and uh, that's always fascinating to me. Whenever anyone opens up the books a little bit, um, this was was no exception. And I also just think Crystal Conti is is a fascinating and incredible human. He's a a, a, a phenomenal salesman and fundraiser, and um, you know just spins a good yarn. And so I, I happily will watch this every year. But uh, this year, you know. Um, Found some interesting things that came out of it. Uh, he, he he lovingly never disparaged previous regimes, thanked all of the guys who came before them, gave them their kudos for their place in time. Uh, he mentioned about the facilities, basically, you know, how state-of-the-art they were when we were. In fact, undoubtedly, the Joneses, when DeLoss said that, but they haven't been significantly upgraded since the 90s, early 2000s in almost any sport. Um, and so talked about his his uh, his work there. And interesting thing he talked about was that there's $300 million in debt that Del Conte inherited when he showed up. And then talked about 
his idea to refresh and give basically each program a $10 million check and say, what do you need? What facilities? How would you like to do this? Uh, at the same time, you know, doing the south end zone uh, overhaul and refresh, which was a $200 million capital project. Um, and, and, you know, building uh, the, the Moody Center in a $60 million practice facility. The amazing thing was, as they showed the books, that those were done debt-free. So when we talk about Del Conte winning the the conference, or excuse me, the Collegiate Athletics Directors Cup, you know, in, in the success of the sports, three national championships, top tens all over the place, that's incredible. But he was also brought in to do the fiscal and business side of the job. And the fact that all of those things I just mentioned, the refreshing the facilities across the board and in uh, all programs. I mean, every program on campus getting state-of-the-art facilities, not just football, basketball, and baseball. The, you know, the actually redoing the Texas Stadium, which, you know, um, it was built a long time ago, remodeled a while ago and and kept nice, but could always use that fresh coat of paint to compete. Um, And then doing what they've done with basketball with the new arena opening and and the practice facility. Um, He mentioned they were still paying debt from the Irwin renovation in 1998 and the building of the Cooley Pavilion. So the fact that he was able to do all of that, all of that um, through the generous donations of, um, Longhorn alums who who gave willingly and gladly um, for the vision of Longhorn Sports is incredible to me. A, it's incredible that we have you know that type of alumni base that can do that, um, and and B that Del Conte was able to tap in and motivate those folks to 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 you know see the vision and uh, and do it. So a couple and and that's my first point. Just incredible job. There's two really key things if you didn't hear it that, that I thought. They're moving the student seats in football. Um, and, and because of that, some some season tickets, they're, they're rotating basically uh, around and really trying to create the best atmosphere, looking at SEC where they put their, their fans get lower bowl tickets and the band has to be in the lower bowl. So um, trying to prepare for that and kind of keep the, the loudest atmosphere we can have was an interesting thing. But then obviously he was asked about and spoke about the very not loud and very empty on TV and in person South End Zone. And to his credit, I always appreciate someone who can own up to something when when it doesn't go right and doesn't try to pass the buck. He said, that's on him. Shame on him. He didn't see that happening where uh, basically the folks didn't go back to their seats in the South End Zone and just stayed in the club level. And he said next year he was directly calling them out to get your butts in the seats, prioritizing getting butts in seats. So... It made me excited, made me energized. It's just another data point in what I think is the best athletics pr- program, and you know the, the 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 best thing in 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 sports is the Texas Longhorns collegiate athletics program. I've said it before. I think I said it last week or two weeks ago when the Tito's thing was announced. But like, regardless of what, like, Cristo Conti is going to be judged by the success of the football program, and that is completely unfair. Based upon what he's done outside of the football program, and I think the football program, and I believe the football program is going to get back to where Texas fans believe it should be. But the simple fact that like he's getting the program out of debt and even ahead is absolutely insane to me. And the fact that the previous regimes were unable to do that just is absolutely insane to me. So I'm banging the drum this week on letting people have fun. So. We've talked about on several occasions that the Big 12 is far and away the toughest conference in basketball. Want me to prove that to you? You ready for that? So Iowa State started the season 12-0, was ranked 45th in Ken Palm's 
ratings. Iowa State is now last in the Big 12 after going 4-8 and eight in their last 12 games. Can I ask you, Kyle, what do you think their Ken Palm rating is right now? Iowa State? Yes. This is Iowa State, who is who is three and eight in conference, and and not you know one just a just a handful of their past dozen. That's who you're asking me about. That is what I'm asking you about. Who? Because the Big Twelve is so stinking good, I think they're still top fifty. Iowa State is is three of eight or four and eight of their last twelve games, and has improved in Ken Palm's <laughs> rating from forty five. To 39. They have gone up six <laughs> spots in the Ken Palm in spite of a four being dead last in conference. That is how tough it is playing in the Big 12. So I say that to say this. There are some old head pearl clutchers that are upset that Texas fans stormed the court last night after the win. One, get over yourself. Two, that's part of the culture that Chris Beard has been trying to build. They had a party on the court. He wants the fan involvement. And as a program that has rightfully been dumped on, been shade thrown at, Kyle, I have watched games where it was so quiet in there, you could hear people's conversations on the baseline on the TV feed. Like, Texas has not had a home court advantage since I have been really watching college basketball at Texas. It's just absolutely sad. And so the fact that we are now going to poo-poo students and fans being excited after one of the biggest home wins I think we've seen in the last few years is absolutely asinine. It is absolutely just ridiculous. Like, one... They're students. I did dumber things for dumber reasons when I was in college. And the simple fact that they're trying to create and recreate a legitimate home court advantage for Texas needs to be celebrated rather than chided. And again, there are people that don't know that this is part of the culture that Chris Beard is trying to build, this fan first, this get the people, get the students involved. But like, that's what we need to see because we've said it before. We, we, we are, you and I are loud and proud about the fact that the level of expectation from Texas fans does not match the level of support as it goes to the basketball team. And so to see that now warms my stinking heart. So storm the court. You know what? Some of you that are there every game, you deserve to go out there and shoot a free throw every now and again. Like you should be on the court enjoying yourself. That was a big win. That was an emotional win. Storm the court. We, when, We talk about the football team or the baseball team, act like you've been there before, right? Texas fans don't storm the field at the football stadium and you don't dogpile before Omaha. I get that. But the basketball team ain't on that level. And Chris Beard is trying to get them to that level. And until then, this is the kind of stuff from the fans that Texas is going to need to get them to that level. So let's get over ourselves. Let's realize who we actually are. And let the fans have some fun and support a basketball team that's finally, hopefully, trying to find its stride. Yeah, and and kudos to those fans. Just want to point out, um, Bill Self in his postgame presser said it's the loudest in all of his trips, the the hardest home court atmosphere that he's ever faced coming to Austin. Um, It matters. In a game that's one possession, in a game where – Kansas players missed free throws down the stretch. Also, some some gamesmanship to Courtney Ramey. I like the late switching sides and the free throw lane. Anyways, um, you know, uh, in a game where, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a ball slipping out of the hand and hitting the back of the backboard, you know, leads to, to the final t- takeaway and turnover and ends the last possession. I mean, the crowd 
makes a difference in those plays, in the late free throws, in the, the, the tense late possession games. The, the head coach of the opposing team is, is specifically calling it out. So, so yeah, revel in it, thrive, you know, enjoy it. You earned it. Um, let's let this ride this wave all the way to a Monday night program, win a championship, and then we'll have a conversation about let's keep a home court advantage. But remember, you know, we, we're, we don't storm the court because we have been there before. But until then, act like you ain't. Act like you ain't been there before and, uh, and go freaking nuts. As somebody who likes to chide people for being new money uh, in college athletics, we'll talk about them when football season comes and baseball season comes too. Texas is absolutely not even money. They're not new money yet. They're, they are first job out of high school money at this point. So enjoy it, have fun, and act a fool. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook up. Hook up. Kansas lost to a football school.